That's a great song. What a message, amen? You look beyond my fault and saw my need. I'm glad he looked beyond the faults because there's plenty of them, aren't there? Well, amen. Turn to John, if you would, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 9. We're going to read a few verses along the way, kind of set the tone for our message, and then we'll kind of jump into it. But John chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, we'll start there. John chapter 11. 
There in verse 9, we're going to listen to our Lord as he answers, and he's going to speak here. And notice what he says in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours? Let me see. Um, Yes, there we go. Okay, I'm sorry. He answers and he says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. Now, again, it's a simple concept, and again, one might say, well, it's not very spiritual either. Well, it has a spiritual application, but the point being is, is while it's day, I mean, while the lights are on, it's not hard to navigate the steps, is it? It's not hard to walk through the stage with the the rug here and these speakers and chairs and I can see myself, see fine, I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about tripping or falling or stumbling. But man, you turn out all the lights and it gets dark, then all of a sudden I've got to be careful. I can't see where I'm going. I mean, it is really that simple. And the Bible's teaching basically that mankind is in darkness from the very moment they're born. The picture represented by our Lord Jesus Christ is that that of a person that is aimlessly and endlessly stumbling through life, not seeing where their next step is going to be. You don't know where you're going to end up. You take a step and you don't know how it'll end. Man, I mean, I don't know about you, but in this world in which we live, it seems that many times we're taking steps and we can't see where they're going to end. And in the world where you're lost without Christ, it's literally darkness and you could be ready to come off the end of a cliff and not even know it. You need the light, and so do I. But seeing the darkness and understanding the need, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And He did that to open the eyes of the spiritually blind to His glorious gospel. He said in John chapter 9, verse 5, He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Satan's all about blinding the minds of man. He wants to wreck and ruin lives. He doesn't want any man or woman or boy or girl to see right. He doesn't want you to see things the way God sees them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world, little g-God, mind you, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. God's all about extending a little light. God's all about helping you and I to see what's ahead. God's all about giving us the ability to see the future and know where we're going to end up and how we're going to get there. But the world's not, and neither is the devil. See, the Bible says that Jesus was the light while he was on this earth. That's what he said in John 9, 5. Again, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But may I say to you today that Jesus isn't on the earth today. At least not as he was when he made the statement, Jesus isn't walking down the dusty trails of Galilee. Jesus isn't going into the synagogues and proclaiming the truth. Jesus isn't on the street corner telling others about him and his glory. No, Jesus isn't here today to shine as he did while he walked the earth. So where's the light? What we're going to find is that the light is in every believer today. Because that is where Jesus resides. That's where Jesus lives. That's where Jesus has taken up residency. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to read through verse 16. 
Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, we're going to read through verse 16. Jesus again is speaking and he's talking to his disciples. And I truly hope that you and I are his disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Boy, it seems today that light is in short supply in our world. Darkness seems to be overtaking it. Sin and selfishness are on the rise and the former foundation of truth and right has been undermined by the anti-God sentiment that has gripped our nation. You need only look at Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 to hear God's sentiment concerning our current situation. He says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think today that as God reviews our circumstance and our situation and our current direction, He says, listen, I'm telling you, you're going in the wrong direction. You're beginning to call good evil and evil good, and that's a problem. That's darkness. But can I say today that, remember, he says, ye are the light of the world. Can I tell you, as dark and as dismal as things may seem to be in our current circumstances, I want you to know today there is hope, and that hope is none other than you. You say, no, it's Jesus. Exactly. But where does he live? In you. May I say today, if America is going to succeed and see the light, it'll be because you and I stand up. If they're going to recognize ultimately that Jesus Christ is king, it won't be because somebody proclamates it at a government end. It'll be because somebody stands at a door and tells somebody about Jesus, who is the light that isn't here, but is being carried through us. The darker it gets, by the way. And this is interesting because I think sometimes we feel like our world is being consumed with darkness and, and we fail to have any glimmer of, of hope, it seems. But can I tell you that amidst the ever-consuming darkness, we do have a glowing glimmer of hope because when the, dark, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. And can I tell you today that you and I can shine brighter than ever in this dark age in which we live. I tell you what, we've got to usher, uh, Brother Mike, if you would go back there, turn all the lights out. Now, I want you to focus your attention over here on the exit sign, would you? On the exit sign over here. Oh, we got all these lights on. Great. Okay, flip the lights back on. Let me do another one. Here we go. Watch this. Don't turn these off because they got to see this. <laughs> now, they got to see that right there. You turn this off, they're all gone. It's captivating right here. So anyway, look, at, look if you would now at maybe one of the exit doors. Uh, Brother Mike, you still, yeah, I didn't tell you to say it, yeah. So, oh, wait a second. Do you notice something about the light that's coming from the inside, outside there? You notice it more. Turn the lights back on, look at the doors again. You don't notice that light as much. See, the darker it gets, the more you recognize and notice the light. It shines. It's, it's not any brighter necessarily, but it shines brighter in the darkness. The darker it gets, the more the light shines. 
Can I tell you that if Jesus Christ lives in you and he lives in me, then the light is already there. We just have to let him shine in and through us. And may I say, the darker that our, our world gets, the darker our culture and society becomes, the more we will shine in this world. So how do we fight that darkness? Well, as believers, we make a difference in this dismal world in which we live by shining. You say, how do I shine? I'm a nobody. I'm nothing big. I'm just me. Exactly, and that's all you need because Christ lives in you. Man, it's not about how big you are. It's about how big he is. It's not about whether you have influence. It's about the influence he can have on others through you. It's about the light that he possesses, not your own personal light. You don't have to be so talented. You don't have to be able to sing. You don't have to be able to teach. You don't have to be able to do all the things that you think are big time in a church. You simply need to shine for Jesus. You say, how do I shine then? Let me give you four things, four ways to shine in the world in which we live that all of us can do. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, we desperately need you. And Lord, we do live in a very dark day, it seems. And yet, Lord, uh, world history can point to many other times when history in in, in our past, it's been dark as well. But Lord, there's never a time when we as believers can't shine. Well, Father, help us to realize the darker it gets, the more bright our light can be. And that light that we possess is you inside us. Help us to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, we desperately need you. Help us to shine today. And may we learn how to. And if there's somebody that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and is still in darkness, may they come to know him as their Savior and Lord today. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we shine when we smile. Now you say, ah, wait a second. I thought you were going to give me some spiritual thing. Oh, this is real spiritual. We shine when we smile. Do you know God's all about joy? Man, he's all about it. There's a saying that says a smile is an inexpensive way to improve your looks. It's an inexpensive way to improve your looks. Some people need a real facelift. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Turn, if you would, there, please. Matthew 6, verse 16. Here's a couple folks in the Bible that needed a facelift. Notice what it says here. It's an interesting passage, and I'm going to point something out that I don't even know that I ever recognized or understood or really saw until just even, to be frank with you, even this morning. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 16. It says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. Now, again, understanding that Fasting is a good thing, but in the uh, uh, time in Jesus' day, there were those Pharisees and so forth, Sadducees, who would fast, and they, would, uh, uh, they, they, they certainly wanted to be godly. They believed themselves to be holy and righteous, and they were the leaders, the religious leaders of their day. But notice what he says, moreover, when ye fast, unlike them, be not as the hypocrites, watch, of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So these religious leaders of the day would go around going, Oh, I'm so wore out, so tired. I've been fasting. I'm so weak. They disfigure their faces. Dude, please don't do that in my presence. But anyway, notice what he says. He says here, and it's interesting, God associates, this, this, is, I, this is amazing. 
He associates a disfigured face with sadness. Isn't that interesting? Look at now, and again, can I tell you, if you're sad, are you smiling? You're frowning. Well, wait a second. You say, what's the point? So when I, when I go through a tragedy, a trial, a difficult time, I have no right to frown. Wait a second. We're talking about the rule, not an exception here. Watch this now. Again, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. They put on us, they disfigure their faces. So you know what I come across that seems to say to me is this. It is not natural for a man or woman of God to wear a frown. You have to disfigure your face. Disfigure? That means the norm is the smile. It's not the frown. That's what God intended for the believer. It's a disfigurement of your face as a believer because you have so much to smile about. When you frown, you have to disfigure your face because it should be a smile. It should be pasted on your face. It should be there consistently. And when it's not, it's out of place. The face that you're now sharing is out of place with the believer's life. It's not consistent with what God, what God intended. We are free indeed from Satan's bondage. We are children of the King. We are blessed of the Father. We shouldn't appear to be sad and disfigured. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. See, the Christian life is not a miserable existence, nor should it be. It's not. And yet, if we're not careful, we fall prey to the darkness and the dismal attitude and spirit and the the depression and the discouragement that seems to be piling up in our world, and we fall prey to it. Wait a second. Get your eyes off of this world and get them on Jesus, and a smile will come. You know, I read a study It said we're actually born smiling. There was a 3D ultrasound technology, apparently, that shows that developing babies appear to smile even in the womb. You know, it used to be thought that babies learn to smile by looking at mama or looking at daddy or seeing somebody smile at them, but now they're finding that there's a, an element of a smile that exists inside the womb. The child comes to that place. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't understand, nor do I fully get how in the world they come to that, but they make faces and they find themselves smiling and opening their eyes, even though they're in pitch darkness. All of these things are taking place in, in, in the midst of the womb. Even blind babies smile in response to the sound of the human voice. There was an intriguing UC Berkeley 30-year longitudinal study examining the smiles of students in an old yearbook. They went back to an old yearbook and they did a 30-year study and they started looking at everybody in the yearbook and they measured their well-being and success throughout their lives. How'd they measure it? They measured it by the smiles in the photographs. And from those smiles in the photographs, they were able to predict some things. They looked at the lives. Now, again, now the lives are lived. And again, it's a blind study. They don't know who they are. They hadn't looked at what their, their achievements were yet. But they looked at this, the faces and they measured the smiles and they started coming to some conclusions. And here's what they found. That those who smiled the largest had long-lasting marriages. That, they were, that, that how highly they, they uh, smiled uh, addressed how they would score on standardized tests of well-being and general happiness. That the smile that they had in that yearbook seemed to um, uh, 
it indicated how they would ultimately inspire others throughout their life. Those widest smilers consistently ranked highest in all the above. They, they, their marriages were more firm and stable and, and, and solid. They, they uh, had higher scores on standardized tests, as we said already, concerning well-being and general happiness. And they influenced others in a much more positive way. All of those things were true. Even more surprising was the 2010 Wayne State University research project that examined the baseball card photos of major league players from 1952. The study found that the, span, uh, that the span of a player's smile, how wide it was, how big it was, could actually predict the span of their life. Players who didn't smile in their pictures lived an average of only 72.9 years, while players with beaming smiles lived an average of 79.9 years. Seven years difference. Now again, you say that's coincidental. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. I believe, no doubt about it, as a believer, we have good reason to smile. And smiling does not hurt us. It can only help us. And it also impacts the world in which we live in a much better way. Let me tell you something. We need to bring a little light to a dark world. And you can do that with a smile today. You can do that with a smile through the checkout. You can do that with a smile to, to whoever's taking care of you at the restaurant. You can do that with a smile to a family member, a friend. You can do that even with a wife or a husband. You can smile, put on a smile, and let me tell you something, it'll make a difference in lives. Smile and shine. Again, he says in the particular passage that we focused on, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Boy, smile and shine today. You say, how else? Give me another way. Okay. We shine when we sing. We shine when we sing. All right, let's run through some scriptures real quick. I'm going to read a few, okay, just for time's sake. Psalm chapter 13, verse 6. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Has God been good to you? If he's been good to you, there ought to be something inside that says, I'm going to sing. And I got to sing. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. When you think about who God is and what he's all about, it ought to say, man, thank God he's holy. I know I'm not, but he's given me his righteousness. Man, there ought to be something inside that causes us to sing. You say, I can't sing a lick. Yeah, well, you can sing in a shower when nobody's listening. You can sing somewhere when nobody's listening. You can sing under your breath even, in the car, driving down the road. I don't know. Roll your windows up when you get to the stoplight. But whatever you do, you can sing. And can I tell you, that singing is going to make us shine in a world that's dark. Especially if we're singing the right things. Singing about him. Bible says in Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98, 4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice. Psalm 147, verse 1, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. Turn if you would to Acts chapter 16. You see an example of people who in the midst of a very dark time found themselves in a position to sing. Now, I don't know how in the world they found it in their heart to sing, but they did. And can I tell you, they're an example to each and every one of us in the dark world in which we live to truly shine through singing in the midst of difficult times. Look what we read over here in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. You probably know the story or the account and the Bible, Bible basically shares with us this, this account, and it, it, it helps us to recognize the fact that we have a Christian faith that isn't always appreciated. And in this case, Paul and Silas are taken into custody. 
They're cast into the lower prison. They're put in stocks. They're beaten, first of all. Then they're put in stocks. And there they are in the midst of the night, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Over there in Acts chapter 16, we've got uh, two men who, even though they'd been beaten, even though they were found themselves in the depths and the heart of a prison, even though they could have possibly been left there for good and left there for dead, they still found it in their heart to praise the Lord through singing. Man, they let their light shine in darkness by singing. And can I tell you, the world needs some light today. We need to sing and shine today. In the midst of the darkness of a dungeon, the light of two men shines so bright that it transformed the jailhouse. Because in the midst of that praise and the midst of that singing, the earth started to quake. And can I tell you, when the, the jailer thought to kill himself, they said, don't kill yourself, for we're all here. We've been having a little prayer meeting, and we've been singing a little bit, some praises unto the master. We've been shedding a little bit of light in the midst of this dark dungeon. Can I tell you, you don't have to kill yourself. You just need to let the light shine. When you and I lift up our voices and sing, we shine in a dark world. And I know that not everybody's a singer, and I know not everybody has a great voice, but I'm telling you, man, along your way, there ought to be a song, and there ought to be a, a, a song in your heart. Man, mama, I don't care if you're a good singer or not, your children ought to hear you singing through the house. Man, just a little bit about Jesus. In the year, the year was not 1742. John Wesley gave five rules on singing in church. Let me give you his five rules of singing in church. Because this, we can shed a little light here. Maybe there's a, a believer that's a little bit down. There's a believer who feels the darkness weighing heavy on their shoulders, and the singing can lift them up. Sing all, he says, number one. Sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find a blessing. Number two, sing lustily and with, a, with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength, he says. Sing modestly. Do not brawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear, melodious sound. What he's saying is, don't try to stand out on purpose. Don't try to draw attention to yourself. That's what he's saying. In congregation like this, lift your voice and lift it strong, but don't try to make it sound freaky or weird or crazy so people recognize you or drawn attention to you. He goes on to sing in verse 4, sing in time. <laughs> Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before or stay behind it. When he cuts you off, you stop singing. When he starts you, you start. Don't be doing your own thing. Sing out though. Sing on time. Above all, sing spiritually. He says, have an eye to God in every word you sing. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound but offered to God continually. Man, he's saying make sure that you remember always that it's him you're singing to and you're focused on him and you're lending yourself an eye on the sky while you're singing the song. You've got one in the hymn book and you got one on him. And it's not just the music but it's the words and it's just the whole that comes together to lift up Man, I'll tell you what, 1742, Wesley was doing some singing and writing some songs, and he says, here's just a few things you need to understand why. Because when we sing, we shine.
What else? Oh, no, I'm going to share this with you. This is great. How many of you ever heard of a fellow by the name of Oral Hershiser? Oral Hershiser was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I remember hearing about him. He was a very famous pitcher, actually. They just won the World Series, and Oral, had, he'd kind of been named the most valuable player, the most valuable player of the series, a pitcher, and of course, that makes sense to us. But one of the TV shows about the World Series showed him in, a, in the dugout just before the ninth inning, just before it started. And he was leaning against the wall, and his lips were moving. I don't know if that's exactly how they were moving, but they were moving. And it was obvious that he was saying something to himself. I mean, there was nobody around. It was just him leaning against the wall. So when he was the guest on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson asked him what he had been saying. Oral Hershiser, he said, I wasn't saying anything. Well, then tell us what you were doing. Finally, Oral replied, he said, well, I was singing. You're, you were singing, said Carson. So, I didn't know you were a singer. Hershiser kind of looked at him and said, oh, I'm not a singer. Johnny kept on him and he finally said, so, come on, what were you singing? Sing it for us now. Now, I, I, I don't want to sing. But pretty soon, the whole audience was chiming in. Come on, sing it. Sing it to us. Sing it. Finally, Oral Hershiser started to sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Johnny Carson just stood there kind of speechless. The whole audience was just, didn't know what to do. They just silent. And then one person started clapping. And soon the whole audience joined in applause. See, that day, Oral Hershiser shined for Jesus. Sing and shine today. And then you say, what else? Well, because of time, we'll probably just get to one more, but we need to stand. Stand and shine. Stand and shine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says that your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men, be strong. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. We'll start there and we'll read a couple other verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says there, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11 of Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. 
And the implication, again, is that we are in a dark world and unrighteousness is darkness. And yet in this particular case, we are to be standing for truth, standing for righteousness. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, Only let your conversation as it, be, as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Well, how important is it that we stand for truth in this ever-changing world in which we live? And again, the world's just upside down. I mean, it's crazy. I, I don't know if this is a good illustration or not. I don't know that it makes any sense. But just some reason, the, the Rubik's Cube comes to my mind. You know, if you see a Rubik's Cube, the goal is to get all the sides the same colors, right? You know, the white, the red, the blue, and all of that. Man, it just seems to me today that what the world has done is they've just taken the cube and went, and there's no consistency in it at all. It's just different colors everywhere, all sides. When God says, no, we should all have blue, and it should all be red, should all be green, and all the colors ought to be the same on each side. Yet the world's just mixing everything up and nothing makes sense. It's so confusing. And here we are left to try to put it all back together. And I don't know about you, but I find myself going, Lord, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to put it back together. And I believe sometimes all that he's saying to you and I today is this. You just stand and shine. You may not be able to fix every problem. You may not be able to rein in all the, the change that's taken place, but you can shine and you can draw people's attention, not just to the sin and not just to the problems and the chaos and the confusion, but draw them to me. Stand and shine. You say, but I, 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 I want to do something to change my world. Shine. I want to do something to change my family. Shine in your family. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the Lord. Man, we've got to stand. And it's, it's not a stand that goes around beating people up. It's not a stand that says, listen, I'm better than you. It's not a stand that says, if you were only like me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking the truth and saying, I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to give. I'm just going to stand and I'm going to be humble about it, but I'm not going to bow down either. I'm not going to kiss the hand. I'm not going to bow to the feet of the devil. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I think about it couple of fellows that stood I think about those three Hebrew children Daniel chapter 3 let's turn over there as we close this out Daniel chapter 3 what a powerful powerful example of standing Daniel chapter 3 notice we're going to begin in Daniel chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 Verse 10, we're going to read through verse 12. Daniel chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what it says there. Of course, we know that the king had said, when you hear the music, you better bow. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbuth, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Man, that image is built and the music's going to sound. And when that music sounds, you better bow down to that image. You better put your face to the ground. You better honor and bring homage to that, that, that golden idol of me. 
the king says. That's the decree, and that's what you'll do. Verse 11. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he, should be, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. <laughs> These leaders go to him and say, now listen, king, you made a decree. And your decree was that when the music played, you'd bow down to that golden image that was built and it was erected on behalf of you. And you know what? There's a couple of them Jew boys. They ain't bowing down. They don't think anything about your gods, and they don't think much about you, obviously. What are you going to do about a king? You're the one that said that they'd face a fiery furnace. You're going to stand up and do what you said you'd do? We're going to back you in a corner now, king. You better follow through. We don't like them boys anyway. We don't appreciate them stealing our thunder. We don't like them taking our places in the kingdom. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't want them to live. And I'm telling you, king, you got to do what you said you'd do. You're going to do it? King goes, yep, i got to do what I said I'd do. By the way, be careful what you say you're going to do because you may have to do it one day. You back yourself in a corner and next thing you know, somebody calls you on it and you say, well, I guess I got to do that. I don't want to now. Well, he had no choice. And I think the king, we're going to see here in a minute, the king got pretty upset and pretty furious too. So he was all in on this thing. But notice, I want you to move now to verse 16. So they got, they got the ultimatum. Notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king now, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't got to think much about this one. We don't have to go pray about it. We don't need to get some counsel here. This is a pretty simple one, old king. We're not careful to answer thee on this one. Watch what they say, what, what goes down now. If it be so, verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, he can deliver us out of that fiery furnace, but he will deliver us out of your hand. What's he saying? We may die in that furnace, but we will not be delivered into your hand. We're not going to obey you. We're not going to yield to you. Notice what he goes on to say, verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. No matter what, I don't care what the outcome, we will not bow, nor will we worship that idol. We're taking a stand today. We're taking a stand. They didn't get belligerent with the king. They didn't cuss him out. They didn't lose their religion. They didn't call them a bunch of losers or they're stupid or anything like that. All we see is that they said, listen, you got to do what you got to do. We're going to do what we got to do, and we're going to stand. I wonder how it turned out. <laughs> we know how it turned out. You know how it turned out? They stood and shined. Can I tell you, it don't always turn out the way we'd like, and we don't always get delivered from the fiery furnace, but we always shine when we stand for Jesus. And can I tell you, in the world in which we live today, it's not about how it always turns out for you and I. It's about how it always turns out for him. And can I tell you, he deserves the glory, and he deserves the honor, and he deserves to be exalted in the world in which we live. And it's turning darker every day. But my friend, you can shine brighter and brighter. It's time that we shine today. And we need to smile and shine.
Sing and shine. Stand and shine. We don't have time, but we need to serve and shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Keep shining. Smile today and shine. Sing today and shine. Stand today and shine. Oh, God wants us just to shine for him in this world in which we live. Don't make it more complicated or more confusing than it is. Just shine. Just shine. And if you don't know for sure heaven's your home today and you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you today that he's happy to take up residency in your life like he did mine. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh yeah, we were born sinners because of the sin of Adam. We know that way back here in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to rebel and disobey God, sin was passed on to their children and to their children after them and to their children after them till it's arrived now to our day and age. Nothing's changed. Sin is still reigning in the lives of humanity. And the fact is, is that Jesus Christ alone came and bled and died for you and me. He took our place on Calvary. He paid for our sin. He rose again the third day and he did it all so that we could be free from sin and the consequences of it and escape hell and reign with Jesus Christ forever. And can I tell you today, if you don't know the Savior and you've never put your faith in Him, He loves you so much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He wants you to live with Him forever. Oh, there's no way that he, those thieves were done that's hung between, hung with Jesus that day. Those thieves were finished. They were done. They had sinned against humanity. They had sinned against their government. They had sinned against God himself. And can I tell you, they deserved to go to hell that day. But that one repentant sinner said, Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, remember me this day. Can I tell you, Jesus said, Oh, you'll be with me in paradise. Which thief will you be today? Will you be one that holds on to your sin or will you be one that cries out for mercy? Oh, Jesus, forgive me. Oh, Jesus, take me to heaven one day. Oh, Jesus, I trust you and only you to save me. Will you do it, Jesus? And he'll say, yeah, I got your back. You'll be with me forever because of your faith in me. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Will you put your faith in Jesus today? He'll give you life. And he'll give you light. That means he'll give you direction and leadership in this life. And he'll give you eternal life one day. Where he is the light. And you'll forever bask in his presence. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we have together. Oh, God, thank you for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to serve you and to love you. And, and Lord, it's just so good. You said we love you because you first loved us. Today, there may be those in our midst who have yet to receive and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And today, we're asking you to to speak to them in a way, a profound way, a way that they cannot deny that it is not a mere man or a preacher or a church or a neighbor or a friend that's talking to them. It's literally the God of the universe 
that your Holy Spirit is drawing them and wooing them and telling them to trust and receive Jesus today. Oh, Holy Spirit, may you do your work in their life of conviction and ultimately bringing conversion and change to their life. Father, help them to make the right choice today to be as that penitent, that penitent th- uh, thief on the cross and saying, remember me. Father, help us, we pray. And Lord, in just a moment, we'll give them an opportunity to make their way to an altar where someone will show them from the Bible very quickly and simply the wonderful truths, the promises of God that will deliver them from sin and from the bondage of Satan and from the consequences of it. We ask, Lord, for the believer today that you'd help us to shine. May we make a commitment to smile, a commitment to stand, a commitment, Lord, to to simply sing the praises of Zion. Father, be glorified in our lives. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the music plays.